Our most gracious and ever-living God, we give you great thanks and praise for this opportunity to gather this morning. And as we do so, we gather in your name and uh, we beg that you'd be in the midst of us. Lord, as we are, um, as the prayer says, wearied uh, by so many chances and changes of this life, we pray that we might find rest in your eternal changelessness and that we might know uh, that you are a God who is alive, active, uh, present in our lives. Enable us this day and always most gracious God to lean upon you and to find our, our strength, our salvation, our hope, uh, our joy in you. And all this we ask now in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, great to see everyone uh, this morning uh, as as we gather. Um, the, the title of the class, if I can remember, this is approximately um, accurate, is, uh, is Lord, Don't You Care? Um, uh, Luke 4, excuse me, Mark 4, uh, Luke 10, uh, and Corey Monteith. Um, some of you may not be uh, as familiar with, with Corey Monteith. Uh, are there any, um, uh, any Glee fans uh, in the room? So, you know, some of you may be familiar. Some of you perhaps not so much. Um, you know, back in the day, a high school musical, Troy and Gabriella, you know, it started off sort of very Disney. Um, you had Troy and Gabriella, and we've, we've fast-forwarded now um, with, with Glee, which is a much, um, it's, uh, it's sort of a high school musical on edgy steroids. So it's definitely, you know, we've definitely sort of transitioned from, uh, from, from high school musical. And a, a couple of things have been bouncing around um, uh, in my mind recently, and one we heard not too long ago, and I've handed out, and we'll take a look at, at these scriptures and some others as well this morning, uh, but we heard from Luke 10 not too long ago, perhaps it was about a month ago, uh, and one, the, the story of Mary and Martha, which is one that you know I think most of us um, are familiar with, but one of the things that, uh, that really jumped out at me as, uh, as we read that um, is when um, Martha came up to Jesus, Lord, um, do you not care? Um, Lord, don't you, um, Lord, don't you care? And of course, in Mark four, um, we have a similar, uh, similar um, cry out um, to God from the disciples. But a little bit about um, uh, Corey um, Monteith. He, he played a character uh, on Glee, Finn Hudson, um, and uh, again, kind of you know kind of Troy, a high school musical, but again, uh, uh, ramped up. He's the uh, high school quarterback uh, and uh, an initially reluctant uh, member of, of Glee. Uh, uh, important to note as well, I had uh, at least one current um, show choir member and one past show choir member. That's, that's a whole subgroup and phenomenon which, um, which you need to familiarize yourself with. Local high schools, et cetera, um, the, um, the show choirs are, are very definitely... Um, uh, a subgroup. It's kind of if you go to these competitions, it's kind of like toddlers and tiaras almost. But uh, but it's sort of you know sort of the high school. It's it's a it's a fascinating um, thing to sort of watch uh, as it unfolds. But uh, as I say, um, Corey Monteith played a character, Finn Hudson, and um, uh, his girlfriend in the show, Rachel Berrien, became um, his real life girlfriend. Well, uh, it was about a month ago. Sadly, um, he died uh, in Vancouver of a drug overdose and. Um, you know, of course, there's probably um, not a person in this room that doesn't sort of have a, at least know of someone, a friend, a family member, whomever. I mean, obviously, that's something which is um, addiction, whether it be a drug addiction, alcohol, 
um, addiction uh, has such an impact in, in so many um, of our lives. And sadly, um, for Corey Monteith, since he was, uh, since he was 12, uh, he had had issues with, with, with drugs uh, and with alcohol and had for a period of time gone through rehab and then had, had been clean, but, but sadly um, fell back into um, drugs and, and alcohol and, and died of an accidental overdose of, of heroin uh, of heroin and, and alcohol. And so to say, just uh, you know, a young guy, I believe he was 31, uh, a sad story, um, period. But what, um, what really, uh, what I saw and, and what just broke my heart, and it was uh, an interview, uh, it was about a year ago, uh, there was an interview, and it was, uh, it's a show um, sort of a um, an actor studio show, and they were interviewing the various some of the various cast members uh, from Glee in, in the actor studio, and and it came to the point in the um, James Lipton uh, is interviewing the cast, and it asked them all these um, various questions, and he gets to this point in the show, and he asks them if um, if if heaven exists, um, what would you like to hear God say when you get to the pearly gates? Um, so that was his question to all the people gathered, if, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say uh, when you get to the pearly gates? And sort of the various um, cast members uh, answered that question. And then uh, it came to um, Corey Monteith, and it was his response, uh, as I say, that just, it really, um, it broke my heart. And, and he said this, uh, uh, sorry, what would you like to hear God say when you get to the pearly gates? And his response to that question was this, uh, sorry, I haven't been around um, there's a good explanation, um, and, and and it was almost you know even in the even in the crowd um, there was there was sort of a, a sort of a, a, a sigh uh, a response from the crowd just everyone there thought you know what a honest uh, from him but but what a sad response um, to that question sorry um, I haven't been around um, there's a good um, explanation and, and as I say I that that both captured me and, and saddened me because. You know, one uh, broke my heart for for Corey in particular, but uh, as well, I mean, certainly he's not alone. Um, certainly, there there are other people um, that that feel similarly. And what I'd like to say as well is, um, in many ways, it is um, it, it's it's a universal issue. Uh, it's something which we experience uh, in our in our own lives as as well as uh, has anyone. Uh, and not some shape or fashion at one point in the lot said, God, where are you? Um, or, or said, God, um, don't you care? Um, or, or God, um, when are you going to do something about this? God, um, when um, are you going to show up? God, why am I not hearing anything um, from you? I think it's something which is uh, part of the human experience. Uh, and it's certainly something we see um, throughout the witness of the Bible as well. And I We'll look a little bit at Mark 4, and we'll look a little bit at Luke 10 also. But, but as we look at them, I was thinking about this as I was sort of praying through and, and preparing. And I, I was thinking um, throughout the entire witness uh, of the Bible, sort of this question, Lord, don't you care? Perhaps not said in those specific words, but comes up um, again um, and again uh, and again. And I, and I think about as I was thinking about it, and well, actually, uh, you think about the, the Exodus, um, the people of Israel um, and the Exodus. Of course, you remember uh, in slavery and bondage in Egypt, they, they call out um, to God, they cry out to God and their slavery and their bondage. God responds and leads them 
um, out of Egypt. Uh, and of course, they, they wander in the wilderness uh, as he prepares them, shapes them, fashions them um, for the promised land. But, but let me ask you this. Um, while they're in the wilderness, what do they do? They grumble. Exactly. They, they grumble. They complain um, again uh, and again and again. And, and they say, in essence, to God again and again and again, um, uh, don't you care? You know, we, we thought Egypt was bad, but now that we're out here, we, we'll take it. Um, uh, we'll, we'd, we'd, gladly, we'd gladly go back rather than be here. And, and at various points, uh, they say, you know what? Um, there's, and it's so funny because it's in the same actual verse. You know what? There's, there's no food and there's no water. And in that same verse, they say, you know, we can't stand the food um, in, this, in this place. So uh, what we see is actually God is um, providing for them, but they just they don't like the way. Um, they don't like the way that he's doing it. They, they grumble again and again and again as, as they go throughout. I, I think about um, all of the various um, prophets, uh, and I think about um, Habakkuk uh, in general. Um, y'all know Habakkuk, good old Habakkuk. It's, it's actually it's a, it's a fabulous um, little book uh, of, of prophecy uh, in the Old Testament. It begins, uh, Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord? Um, those are the first words of Habakkuk. How long? Um, o oh Lord, will we cry out uh, and, you knew, and you do nothing? How long will we point out to you the violence and, uh, and you will not respond? Um, when are you going to do something uh, about everything um, that's, that's going around? And, and immediately, I mean, we're talking about just a couple of verses here, and immediately there's the response from God um, telling him to go up upon the watchtower um, to prepare himself for surely um, God will respond. And if, and if yeah, and he said... Uh, he said, I'll provide the vision. He said, write the vision. If the vision tarries, wait for it, for surely um, it will come. Uh, and so we hear in Habakkuk, he says, um, how long, O Lord? I, I think about um, Jonah. Uh, and, of course, Jonah saying to God, Jonah, God asking Jonah, are you angry? He said, I'm, I'm angry enough to die. Um, I, I can't believe um, what you're letting happen here. I can't believe um, you're sending me to Nineveh when you know that's the last place um, that I want to be. I, I thought about um, Elijah, the prophet, um, when he's on the run uh, from Jezebel. Uh, and he sort of similarly, like, like Jonah, said, tells God, you know what, I've, I've, I've had it. Uh, and this is after God has delivered him uh, from Jezebel. This is after God has provided um, miraculously for him, just like he did for the people of Israel in the wilderness. And, uh, and Elijah says to God the same thing. You know what, God, I've uh, I've, I've had it. Uh, I'm, I'm done. Uh, I'm out. In essence, all of these people asking the same question, um, Lord, um, don't you care? Uh, Lord, don't you care? Lord, why don't you do something uh, about the situation? And, and let me ask you this. This can be rhetorical um, and or not. But um, as we see the people in the scripture uh, in various ways uh, ask that question, Lord, don't you care? And, and as we uh, ask that question in our own lives. What what drives it? What drives that question? Let me ask you, and you're welcome to to respond and or not. Yes. Impatience. I think definitely um, uh, impatience is 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 a big one. Exactly. Lord, don't you care fast enough? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, impatience. What else? Uh, absolutely, things are not going as I expected. And I think in the in Luke ten with with Martha and Mary is is a prime example of that. Martha said, "You know what? Um, 
Mary's not doing what she needs to be doing. Um, things, are, things aren't going at this dinner party. Um, and, and things aren't going the way that, the way that they should go. And obviously, we, we have far more substantial things in our lives, whether it be in our lives or, or, or people um, that, that we love and are close to. And it, and, it, and it can be serious stuff, you know, rather than just sort of trivial. Well, you know, he didn't make the team. I mean, it can be significant stuff. Why is this person ill? Why is this person um, struggling? Why... Um, is, is this person sort of battling with what, whatever? So, yeah, exactly. Life's not going the way that we think it should be going. Impatience. What else? Rejection. Rejection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm rejected. I feel, I feel cut off. Surely, God, if you cared, um, this wouldn't be happening. Uh, yeah, thank you. What else? Suffering. Sure, Ab- absolutely. Um, uh, suffering and, and the challenge of that, I, I think, um, I think our fear uh, often drives us to, you know, say, Lord, don't you care? Our, our anxieties um, and, and concerns say, you know, Lord, don't you care? Our wrestling with, with disbelief or, or unbelief. You know, another thing I think, and this is certainly true uh, in my life, uh, and I don't think it's unique to me, but Lord, don't you care? And it's, it, it, it starts at its root. It's a misunderstanding of what I really need. Um, thinking that I that I really need something um, that uh, that that perhaps I don't, uh, and and it's and it's not working out, and it leads me to it basically leads me to it begins with a false assumption um, that I that I need something that perhaps I really um, don't need, and when it's not working out, um, or when it's uh, seems to be coming slower um, than I'd like, then then it's that Lord um, Lord, don't you care? And in fact, that is addressed as well. In this passage from Luke 10, uh, as Jesus points out um, to Martha that that Mary um, understood um, the one thing needful, the one thing um, necessary. The, her, her priorities were in order in this situation as, as Jesus came. Um, so, Lord, don't you care? I think is is, is part of the. Uh, it's something which is addressed throughout throughout the Bible from beginning to end. I think it's something which is part of. Um, our human experience, if if we're honest with ourselves and honest um, with others as well, but also um, it's something that is addressed in the scriptures as well, and and we'll get to the point uh, in a moment where uh, hopefully prayerfully we see um, not only does the Lord care, but he but he cares beyond our wildest imagination. Um, you know, it's not uh, he doesn't care sort of grudgingly um, and and selectively, but he but he cares. Profoundly, um, powerfully, and, and again, beyond um, beyond our wildest dreams, does God care for you and for me? So, if you will, we'll look just a moment at both this uh, Mark four uh, and and Luke ten, and then, as I mentioned, there are some other scriptures as well that that I'd like to that I'd like to share with you. Mark four is one of those again, which you're probably familiar with. Jesus um, calming the storm. One of the neat things, to some degree, an aside, but not not irrelevant. Uh, one of the neat things we see about this Mark 4 passage is, is a lot of eyewitness um, details. Uh, and as y'all are probably familiar, uh, in, in all likelihood, um, a, a majority of the gospel of Mark comes from Peter's personal recollections that he's sharing, um, that he's sharing with John Mark. Uh, Peter's um, eyewitness um, recounting and recalling of, of Jesus's life and his ministry, his death and his resurrection, the, the formation of the faith of the disciples. And, 
And we hear that on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let, a go, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Again, just kind of inconsequential, but at the same time, um, eyewitness details. They, there were other boats gathered there. They took him um, just as he was. Rather than his going back to shore, he got from the boat in which he was teaching into their boat. And then they began to go across um, to the other side. So we hear um, the eyewitness, uh, the little things that we include in the stories we tell, whether significant or not, they seem significant to us as, as we sort of have that picture, that visual um, in our mind as we begin to share um, the story with others. And we hear um, that as they go, acro- go across, of course, a great um, windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Uh, but he was in the stern asleep uh, on the cushion. Uh, and um, the, I've, I've never um, actually been there, but, uh, but the Sea of Galilee uh, is actually, this is kind of interesting when we think about it, it's 700 feet below sea level. Um, uh, it's 700 feet below sea level, and it's, so uh, I think you could call that a valley. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a valley there, and, it, and it's surrounded by, by hills and mountains. And, and not only is it surrounded by hills and mountains, but just um, 30 miles away, Mount Hermon rises to, I forget the exact number, over 9,000 feet. Um, so you have sort of 700 feet below sea level on um, the warm uh, this is the James Fan moment um, of the class today. You have the, uh, you have the warm air, which is moving um, over the Sea of Galilee, and then you have the cold air coming uh, from Mount Hermon, uh, sort of 9,000 plus. And so, as you might imagine, uh, as those, uh, this really is kind of a James Fan, as those two hit one another, there are these, these sudden um, fierce storms um, which arise, and, and they even have a name, the Sharkia. Uh, the shark is, is the name for the actual um, wind that blows. And so one thing I'd like to say uh, is this, as, as we sort of ask this question, Lord, don't you care, as we, as we think about these things. Um, one thing I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm not doing and that we're not doing is, you know, the, the issues and the challenges which come in our life, we're not making light of those. Um, they're, they are significant. And so as we, as we reflect today, as we talk about these things today, we're not saying that, you know, well, you know, you just need to know that it's no big deal. Because a lot of these things that come into our lives, these troubles, these challenges, these things that cause us to cry out, are, are very significant. And so we're not making we're not making light of those um, the challenges and the trials and the losses um, that that we experience. And and also um, with with the disciples here, uh, it's important to note that you know this wasn't just caught in a rainstorm. Uh, it wasn't as if they were just overreacting. This this was serious. Uh, this was substantial. What was happening to them? Um, they they were. They were in genuine danger of going down. Um, they were in very genuine danger of, of dying. And I know I've certainly been um, caught out on the water in a storm, and, and you all probably have as well. And I don't know about you all, but um, you suddenly feel very, very small. Um, and, and you suddenly feel very, uh, very vulnerable. You know, you can, you can be all tough on land, uh, but, but when you get out um, and, and you're on the water... Uh, and, and land is, is nowhere close and, and a big storm comes in, you, you suddenly become far less brave um, at, at that moment. And so they're, they're, again, not just simply, they're not just being babies. Um, they're not overreacting. This is serious. Water is, is coming into the boat. Um, they, they literally um, might go down. And interestingly, um, to their tremendous, um, not just frustration, but, but anger, we hear that Jesus uh, is in the stern uh, and he is asleep 
um, on a cushion. And uh, it's interesting to note in the scriptures, uh, this is the only time we see Jesus sleeping. Um, and and I, think, I think there's a strong likelihood that he slept at other times. Um, but this is actually, uh, as, you, as you read through the Gospels, this is the, the only time um, we find Jesus uh, asleep as, as this tremendous storm has arisen. And, and the actual, uh, if, as you read this um, in the original language, it's, it's made um, very clear here that they woke him and, and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Um, and it's interesting because Matthew and Luke and their telling of this kind of uh, soften um, the language uh, just just a little bit, and, and there, there's sort of a little softening. But but Mark leaves all of the all of the fear and all of the despair and all of the uh, the rudeness which with they address Jesus. I mean, they're they're not because they're terrified, um, and so they don't say, you know, Lord, don't you care um, that, that 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 we're perishing? I mean, they're 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 fearful, um, they're anxious, um, they're insistent. They're insistent in, in the way in which uh, in the way in which they wake him and the words which they use in calling out to him at this time. And of course, um, we hear as well um, that not only do we see, of course, his um, his complete trust in God in this situation, um, but we see his um, divine humility uh, as well. Uh, they they speak to him fearfully, angrily, anxiously, um, rudely. Uh, and we see Jesus uh, in response. We see sort of a, a, a divine um, humility and a divine um, tolerance in the way in which um, he responds to them. And, and I think that's something of note um, to you and to me as well as, as we think about our relationship with God, as we think about um, our prayers, the way in which we call out to him, the way that he's tolerant. Um, and not just tolerant, because tolerant, you can be tolerant. Tolerant doesn't necessarily have any love involved. You can tolerate people, and that's, it's not necessarily very loving and gracious. So his response is actually, I guess it's more of a long-suffering, um, would be a more be a more accurate long-suffering, because uh, that denotes a, a tremendous love uh, and investment uh, and, and involvement. And so the way in which he listens to you and to me um, is, is long-suffering. Of course, uh, we know um, ha- what happens he, after he is uh, awoken. He rebukes the wind uh, with the words, peace be still, uh, and the wind uh, ceases. There is uh, a change which is accomplished um, by his word. And a word of note as well, for the, for the people of, of biblical times, wind um, and water, you know, I, um, wind and water uh, sounds like vacation to me. You know, I'm just like, you know, give me some more, give me some more wind and water. Um, it's, it's not over, it's not over yet, is it? But in, in, in sort of biblical imagery, more often than not, that, that represents um, chaos. Uh, that represents forces um, which are hostile to us. It, it represents that which needs to be um, subdued. And so we see Jesus' power. We see his authority that at his words, um, these powers of destruction, these powers um, of chaos, these things which would do us harm um, are, are stilled um, at his word and it's... Uh, there's a there's a really really important point here, uh, and and we see it actually um, continued uh, in uh, the fifth chapter. This is the end of the fourth chapter. At the fifth chapter, you remember he, he lands and and the guy comes out, which is possessed by demons. Uh, the person that sort of slashes himself and attacks the people 
um, that come by, and no one's been able to help him. No one's been able um, to subdue him. And we see um, in, in the individual that he meets on the shore, um, the, the storm is not out there. The storm is on the inside um, for him. Uh, and I think, again, that's something which we can probably um, recognize as well. And Jesus has a power and has, has an authority to still not only the storms on the outside, but the storms um, on the inside uh, of our lives as well. But there's an important thing which needs to be seen here, more than just showing Jesus' authority over nature, which in and of itself reveals to them what actually um, concerns them, that perhaps this is actually God in the midst of them. I've known some fairly holy people, um, and, and I've known none of them to be able to stop the wind and the waves. Um, so, you know... And actually, that's part of the thing here about who Jesus really is. He's not some great teacher in the midst of them. He's not simply uh, a healer. He's not simply someone who's come to bring uh, a new social order. Uh, it's, it's a realization that this is God in the midst of them because only God alone can do something uh, like this. But, but what is important for us to see is that this depicts Jesus um, as the strong man, as the one who vanquishes Satan uh, and, and plunders um, his evil minions. Um, there's... This is tremendous good news to you and to me. We see Jesus, um, the power of Jesus, and it, and it foreshadows, of course, um, his power over the forces um, that disrupt human nature, um, the things which would enslave and capture us as well. Um, it, it shows um, who Jesus is uh, and his ability um, to uh, bring a healing, his ability to bring um, a peace, his ability to bring um, a restoration. And interestingly here, that um, their response to this um, is actually in some ways even greater fear than the storm. Uh, the, the storm is kind of a little more self-explanatory, um, where, whereas Jesus and, and what he's able to do, that they are kind of sort of rightfully um, unsettled um, by this. Um, who then is this? Uh, is this actually um, God um, in the very midst of it, midst of us? But we see... Um, his ability um, to have power um, over the things um, which beset us. And then we'll look just a moment here um, at Luke 10. And then there's a couple of other things that, I, that I'd like to say, you know, perhaps um, how, how do we respond. And we'll just say sort of uh, briefly here about this story um, with Mary and Martha. Some of the things that y'all um, brought up earlier, and, and I appreciate that in this situation where we have once again in many ways, um, is, is a much smaller um, issue. Um, Martha's upset with Mary because Mary's not doing what Martha thinks she needs to be doing. She's not helping out, and Martha's having to do it all by herself. And uh, in the grand scheme, um, not as threatening um, as, as being caught in a storm. But, but we see the challenges uh, of human nature, her, her anxiety and her frustration that things are not working out the way that, they, that she needs to work the way that she thinks they need to work out, her inability um, to control the situation, and then those important words on which Jesus speaks about, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing um, is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not um, be taken away from her. And so as we reflect this morning on this, this question, Lord, um, Lord, don't you care, both as we see it in the scriptures, we see it in the lives of other people, but also as we experience it in our own lives as well, what I'd like for us to begin to look at is the way that God reveals how much he does care um, for you and for me, and some of the resources 
um, that are available. And ultimately, not surprisingly, um, when, in response to that question, Lord, don't you care? Uh, the unmistakable answer to that is Jesus. Um, Lord, Lord, don't you care? Um, not just theoretically, but concretely, God answers that question profoundly uh, and once and for all um, in Jesus. And inevitably, too, talk about some, some different things, perhaps, which might be available to us as we wrestle with um, this question of, Lord, don't you care? But ultimately, not surprisingly, what we ultimately come back to is the one thing needful um, is, is Jesus. Um, I can kind of build up to it, but I think you know where I'm going um, with, with all of this. Uh, it's his being the one thing um, needful for us. So let me ask you this question, uh, because as we talk about, Lord, don't you care, as we, as we face that question um, in our lives, uh, as we ask that question in our lives, um, are there things to help us? Uh, are there things to um, sustain us? Are there sort of resources for us um, as, as we wrestle with that? When we, when we reach that place, when we ask that question, what, what can we do? What can we turn to? Because inevitably it comes up, but, but I think you would all agree we don't want to stay there. Um, we, we recognize that it comes, but, but are there resources for us um, to enable us not to stay there um, when it does come? And, and these are some thoughts of mine which you can... Um, I, I'm, I'm going from preaching to meddling here. So you can, um, you can receive or, or not receive um, what, I have to share, what I have to share here. But, but some various thoughts uh, I had um, are these, and, and, and obviously in many ways I'm speaking from a personal um, perspective here. But one of the things I think that, that helps when we come to that question in our lives, when we come to that struggle um, in our lives, that question of, of, Lord, don't you care, one of the things that I, that I find most helpful, and I think a, a beginning place, is we need to have a theological perspective. Uh, we need to have a, a, a theological lens uh, by, which, by which we look at the world. Uh, we need to look at our, our situations in light, of, um, in light of the big picture. And I don't mean that in some sort of dry, dusty, uh, academic way, but, but, but I think a theological perspective is, is a tremendous strength um, for us, is a tremendous um, resource for us, an understanding uh, of, uh, of sort of life, our lives and the lives uh, of the people um, around us that, that, that we love or that we have difficulty loving. And, and the first thing um, is when I think about a theological perspective is the reality that, that is, as fabulous as the world is, um, as, as much that is so good about it, as much that is so beautiful, we, we live in a broken creation. Um, we, we live uh, in, in the time um, of the fall. And, and God has responded to that. And actually, not only has God responded, but God has already assured um, his victory over it through the cross and the resurrection. But it's, but it's important for you and I to understand that there's, there's trouble um, in this life. Jesus said, in this world, um, you'll have trouble. And I think particularly sometimes as, as Americans, um, and particularly as suburban Americans, um, so much of our life is so safe, um, and, and, and so much of our life um, is so abundant that I think sometimes it's shocking for you and for me um, when we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves experiencing hardships, when we see um, people that we love experiencing them. So I think one, from, first and foremost, from a theological perspective, the ride that we live in a broken creation, and it, and it, affects, uh, it affects all of us, that there is the reality of, of challenge and, and difficulty um, and, and suffering in our lives in such a way that we shouldn't be shocked um, when, it, when it comes about. Um, 
And into this messiness, though, there's, there's also into this brokenness, into the fallen creation, of course. Again, that, that, that greater uh, reality is, is that God has entered into it in Jesus um, and has taken all of that uh, upon himself and has actually um, taken all the sin and the brokenness of the world upon himself uh, and to the cross and, and by his blood shed um, through, his, through his willing uh, death, through his um, resurrection, um, there is the reality that all of that is not the final word. Uh, the final word has already been assured of God's victory um, over all of that. God's love and grace um, extended um, to you and to me. That's, that's the greater reality. And another thing as well when it comes to a theological perspective, and I think um, this is important as well, is, is one to recognize certainly God's sovereignty in our lives, working through the successes and the failures, through the joys, through the brokenness, through all of that, and, and that there are no throwaway lines. Um, that, that God is able, um, there's plenty of lines in my life that I'd like to throw away. Um, but, as, but as I look back, I've seen God being able to work and move um, through all of those and God's sovereignty. There, there are no throwaway lines. And uh, Frank mentioned a minute ago in his sermon from Niebuhr, this world is all there is ism. Um, and, and I think that can be manifested not only in sort of a consumerism and a worldliness, but, but quite frankly in despair as well. Um, because the reality is, uh, we're being shaped and we're being fashioned for more. Uh, again, as, as good as this life is, it, it, I mean, it doesn't compare to eternity. Uh, and the reality is God is working, our, as that wonderful hymn says, our, our dross to consume and our gold to refine. We're being, we're being shaped. We're being fashioned um, for more than, than just this life. And so when we experience hardships, when we experience um, suffering, whatever it might be when we go through challenges and we, uh, we're looking for answers to questions and we're not seeming to find them, uh, I think it helps, at least it helps me, um, to have that perspective that this world is not all there is, that God is shaping and fashioning us for eternity, um, that there's something um, so much more. So I think one resource we have is, is a theological perspective to recognize that God has already accomplished the victory, that this world is not um, all there is, and also that God does not remain distant or indifferent, but he concretely enters into our lives um, in Jesus, and he promises, uh, not only uh, does he give himself for us, but he promises he won't leave us as orphans, John 14, but he'll send another counselor, the Holy Spirit, to advocate for us, to counsel us, to guide us. The second uh, resource um, which we have uh, is, is prayer, uh, and I think prayer is something we do a good job talking about. Um, uh, but but not often such a great job, and and I'd like to say it's not just those people; it's me too. Um, but 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 I find that that prayer is is a phenomenal um, resource um, given to you and to me. And and when I speak to prayer, I mean not only is it is it an outlet um, for us, but as you as you read through the scriptures as well, you know, particularly the Psalms, you see um, the honesty of the prayers, not only. Uh, prayers of, of, of praise and, and thanksgiving and, and petition, but also basically prayers of, of complaint um, uh, as, as well. And prayer is a, is a tremendous resource given to you and to me. And, and what I'd like to share with you is this, is that uh, as, as we pray, um, what I found more often than not, and it, and it often d- doesn't happen instantly, but God wonderfully changes us um, through prayer, uh, changes us, opens um, our, our perspectives. You know, and I have difficult people in my life. I, um, and I, you know, uh, I mean, I have a few. Um, but when I, you know, and I'm thinking about particular, you know, difficult people um, in my life and, uh, and, and praying about them. 
exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought it was veiled. Um, it was, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things I find so initially vexating, but, but ultimately fabulous, is I'm playing around, you know, doggone, that Frank Limehouse, and I'm, you know, he's this fault and that fault, and, I, and then you, you find those things in yourself as well. Um, God's sort of wonderfully conviction, you're just like, oh, man. Um, it's not just that person, it's, uh, it's, it's me too, um, which, which leads you to a wonderful liberating pray, place of, of confession uh, and, uh, and, and a wonderful resignation and the power of God able to move through that. So uh, prayer is a wonderful way in which God helps to shape and fashion us, to speak to us, and also wonderfully to change um, our perspective. Another thing I would say uh, is this, and that is... Um, the, the remembrance, uh, the, what I would call uh, the fellowship of the saints, um, the, the fact that, you know, we're, that's part of the beauty of um, the church, the body of Christ, uh, is certainly a relationship with God, but also a relationship with one another. You know, that I think that the tendency of our adversary, the evil one, is to isolate us uh, and to think that we're all alone and to try to do it um, all alone and just keep it all um, to ourselves and thereby to isolate us. But a, a tremendous resource we have um, is in the fellowship of the saints, bringing um, those, the, the, the hurts, the concerns, the anxieties, the fears, whatever they might be, um, to, to others um, within our lives who you know, give us prayer, give us um, love, give us uh, fellowship, who, who walk with us, the, the ability to realize um, that not only are, are we not alone, and, and there is often, more often than not, um, universality you think you're the only one um, that's experiencing this and then when you bring it up and in, in the community of the faithful you know, it's like oh, I know exactly I know exactly what you're talking about um, surprise you're 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 not that unique lastly this and I've got two scriptures here I'll just kind of allude to this briefly um, the the fourth thing uh, is is standing stones uh, standing stones and uh, I, it's a great um, it's, it's a great portion of Scripture, uh, Joshua um, 3 and 4. Uh, the people, are, are they've, they've been wandering, 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 wandering. They're finally going to enter into the, the promised land, but they have to get across um, the Jordan. The Jordan is at, is, at, is at flood stage. And so Joshua tells the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do um, amazing things uh, within your sight. And so the people um, say their prayers. They they consecrate themselves, they, they offer themselves um, to God, and they send um, the priests ahead with the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the symbol of, of God's presence. I, I always thought um, maybe that was faithful, or maybe they thought, well, we'll let the priests try it, and if it works, then we'll follow them, and if it doesn't, well, we can, you know, you always get more priests. Um, so they, they, they send the priests ahead with the Ark of the Covenant as they, uh, as they step in, the, the, the water's... Um, are, are dried up. The people go across uh, on dry ground. But but here's the here's the interesting thing: as they're they're commanded to take up twelve um, stones, uh, and to take up um, these twelve stones, and to uh, to after they go across. And this is uh, four five, and I'm going to read four twenty one. Uh, and uh, Joshua said to them, "Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up." Each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them 
that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And then in 421, And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, when he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord um, your God forever. So what is the idea behind the standing stones? Twofold. One is, uh, one is a witness, but, but secondly, it's a remembrance also. And the reason I, I say standing stones, uh, when we're going through times when we, we're asking God, Lord, don't you care? Uh, sometimes the answer to that, we begin with our mind first and then our heart follows. Uh, and what I mean by that is this, the importance of looking not only to the scriptures, uh, to seeing the many ways in which God reveals his love and his concern and his provision for his people, having that uh, in, in our memory, but also the personal times in our own lives in which God provided um, for us, in which he um, cared for us, to, to look back and to remember those times to strengthen us, to sustain us uh, as we're going through the times when we say, um, Lord, Lord, don't you care? It's, it's kind of like when Elijah says, you know what, I'm the only faithful person left. And, and God says, well, actually, there's 7,000 others um, who haven't bent the knee, the knee to Baal also. You know, appreciate what you've done, but you're, but, but you're, but you're not alone. So the standing stones, the remembrance of uh, the character of God, his love and his care and his concern um, for us to strengthen us, to get us through um, those challenging times when they come. And as I say, sometimes to have the understanding of that in our mind, give time for our hearts to catch up. Very finally, this. Uh, I mentioned uh, from Luke 10, um, Jesus saying the, 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 one thing, the one thing needful, um, and the Lord spoke, um, you know. Ultimately, um, in response to that question, um, Lord, um, don't you care? Uh, inevitably, um, we, we go to Jesus. Um, the fact that God has, has come forth um, into the world uh, in Jesus, the fact that he became a man of sorrows um, on yours and my behalf, the fact um, that he, uh, in, his, in his love and his grace for you and for me, uh, took upon himself all the sins, all the brokenness, all which separated us from God and, and took them himself um, to the cross. Uh, there's in Numbers, you remember there's the time when the people are grumbling, fiery serpents um, are, are biting them and they cry out, um, Lord, um, they say to Moses, you know, doesn't God care? Um, what's, what's God going to do about this? And you remember he fashioned, um, fashioned, God told him to fashion the bronze serpent when the people, there's nothing like fiery serpents to lead to repentance. Um, he fashioned this um, serpent and the people, when they looked to it, they'd be saved. And Jesus in John 3 uh, says when, um, uh, this is John when he's talking um, with Nicodemus, um, he says um, those words, uh, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man um, must be lifted up, that all who look to him um, might be saved. Um, uh, does God care? He answers that unmistakably um, in Jesus and the way that he comes forth into the world. And then finally, I'll say this, the reality that you and I have, and this goes back to um, 
Mark's gospel, and not just Mark's gospel, but all of them, we see that who has the final word on the risen Jesus um, has the final word. That's the final um, reality, God's care, um, God's provision um, for you and for me. And thankfully, it's not given to you and to me to have the final word. It's given um, to Jesus to have the final word, um, who, uh, despite our sins, our shortcomings, seeks us, calls us to himself that we might have life uh, in all of its fullest.